Thank you for tuning in to Morning Moments with Pastor Bruce Goddard from Faith Baptist Church. We pray that this is a blessing to you. Welcome to our podcast. And today, instead of our normal morning podcast, in fact, for a few days, um, I'm taking some messages that have been very special to me on the home and um, putting them into our podcast. Uh, our adult Sunday school lessons lately have been on the home, and our fall program is really on uh, faith and family and fellowship. And so um, today's message is from 2015 when we had a family conference. We had just an amazing time. We brought in um, Dr. Pete Cowling and his son, Kevin Cowling, Pastor Cowling, Pastor Kevin Cowling in um, Valley Baptist Church in Arizona. And uh, their their wives spoke some. But the next couple of days um, in our podcast, I'm having um, messages from this conference. And so these are messages spoken at our church by uh, Dr. Pete Cowling, an incredible, incredible man, and his wife, great, just they're amazing people. So maybe two of the God, most godly people I've ever known in my life. And then Kevin Cowling and his wife, what a great, a great pair having father and son speaking in these next couple of days. So uh, welcome to our podcast, and uh, let's hear the Cowlings as they speak. I remember when I was growing up, sometimes we'd be playing ball, and you would choose sides. It really felt good when someone chose you. You just heard who chose us. Boy, we tend to take so much for granted. You know, human sensory perception is unable to maintain a conscious awareness of a constant input signal. Amen? You've probably been thinking about that today. <laughs> now, it, it, what it means is if things don't change, we don't notice them. You know, you're out so when you knock on the door and you go in, you say, oh, cigarette smoke. But after you've been in there for a while, you don't notice again anymore until you go out and you say, oh, fresh air. We woke up this morning chosen by God. Did you jump up and down and get excited? You know, really and truly. I have a little exercise I do. This has nothing to do with what I'm going to say. This is how I get excited about the Lord. Stick your pinky up. Wiggle it. I go, hmm, how did you do that? He said, just wiggled it. I knew with my eyes closed. <laughs> I thought of that when she talked about that lady that just got her eyes open and moving a little bit. Your mind created a code of electrical impulses that found their way through the right nerve to the right muscle so you could do that. Nothing man has done can duplicate that. Nothing. Watch this. You know, uh, God is so good to us, but we just, we just take it for granted. How many of y'all woke up this morning breathing air and thankful? No, you just were doing it. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and breathe in air, you ought to say, thank God the government doesn't have to supply it. We're that way, and, and, and here it is with regard to marriage. Do you remember when you were so excited about getting married, you prayed the rapture wouldn't happen first? 
Why have you changed? Really? Because we take it for granted. Not a good thing. Well, let's see. Brother Goddard says something about my family getting folks to church. If yesterday was a typical day, my wife and I, my children and my grandchildren probably were responsible for getting maybe twelve or 1,300 people to church somewhere. Now, then that that's after 38 years on the bus route and a lot of time. And, and unbelievably good help. You know, it, it, it's just that way. Well, let's see. <clears throat> when my children were little, every night I would rock them to sleep. And as I rocked them to sleep, I'd say something like, Kevin, did you know God loves you? Did you know he loved you so much he sent his son to die for your sins, Kevin? Kevin, did you realize that all you have to do to go to heaven is simply trust Jesus? Kevin, I prayed a real simple prayer when something like this. I said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner deserving of hell. But I know you died for me, and you're my only hope for heaven. I'm asking you right now, Jesus, to forgive me and save me. I did that every night because I decided the first night that Kevin was able to understand what I was saying. I wanted to hear it. Amen. You know, it's just, just simple things. But anyhow, <clears throat> we, my wife and I are getting ready. Well, she's getting ready, and I'm sort of bracing. Our first baby is about to arrive. She has a master's degree in preschool child care. I figured, we can handle this. She had her book of Spock. Remember Benjamin Spock? That was sitting on her dresser. I said, we can do this. It took about a week, and Spock went in the trash can. <laughs> and she spent... A whole long time color coding the book of Proverbs. It never does pay to get in an argument with her because, first of all, when I yell, she talks softly and she quotes the Bible. <laughs> so, all right, well, anyhow, <clears throat> you've got a handout. These are just God's pattern for a successful marriage. God's pattern, eight words. Wives submit, husbands love, children obey, fathers rear. Come up here, babe. Woo! Oh. <laughs> Still excited. You know, now listen, now listen to this, and this, you know this truth. How I feel about her depends on what I choose to think about. I, if I, She's got some habits that makes me want to go out and beat my head against the door. <laughs> but <laughs> there's so much good about her that I choose to think about it, it really works. Amen. Probably 30 or 40 years ago, we were driving down the road in East Tennessee. I can still picture the spot. And we were arguing and I got to looking at her and I said those are the lips that led me to Christ that's the reason I'm going to heaven I got excited 
I pulled the van over, parked her, parked it, grabbed her, and said, Freda, if you don't quit talking, I'm going to kiss your teeth. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's really pretty simple, but <clears throat> do you know what the middle letter in sin is? I. Do you know what the middle letter in pride is? I. Do you know what the middle letter in idiot is? I. <laughs> Just thought I'd point that out. <clears throat> so, all right. <clears throat> Eight words. Exodus 25, verse 40. If you got, read this with me. Ready? And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Keyword pattern. Did you know God went through a lot of trouble telling them how to build the tabernacle and all the little stuff that you thought was nitpicky. Maybe the pattern. Look at Hebrews 8, 5. This is longer, so you can still have a, you'll have a hard time. Ready? Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. See, see, he, the, uh, all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mouth. Okay, pattern. This is what we're going to work on. First two words, wives submit. You know, when, when you get in an argument, with the one that led you to Christ, you've got to be spiritual. And I would say something like this. Frida, according to Ephesians chapter 5, you're supposed to submit. Submit. Well, I like that verse better. That says down here, it says, um, husbands, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. So the wife should be submitting. But down here in Ephesians 5, again, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. So I like that verse better. It says that you're supposed to love me. You're supposed to submit. Well, okay, you love and I'll submit. You submit and I'll love. You love and I'll submit. Y'all see something there? Now, now did you... One day it dawned on me. Did you hear about the fellow wonder where the sun went at night? Man, he sat around thinking about it, thinking about it, and then it dawned on him. But anyhow, <laughs> but I got to thinking, I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Did you know Christ loved me when I was lost? Did you know Christ loves me whether I submit or not? And that's how I'm supposed to love my wife. You ever been in an argument with your wife, remember, and you realize you're losing? And you get a cold feeling, it starts right here and works its way down to both feet? That's where I was. But I had to love her whether or not she submitted. Okay, well, anyhow. I might say that, okay. That submission is hard for anybody. We are certainly not telling you that we. I have always submitted because I always haven't. I have. There have been. I. There have been many times when I haven't. But I know when I don't submit that I'm wrong and that God is going to punish me. God says, 
The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So when I, as a wife, fail to submit to my husband, then that is sin, and God is going to punish me. It also takes away my peace, joy, and happiness in life. I found that it's easier in life, because the reason why we don't want to submit is because we're all selfish. We can be saved and be selfish. We can be lost and be selfish, because we always will have a sin nature. I find in my life it's easier to submit to the big things than to the little. You know, when he said we're moving to Tennessee, I didn't like it, but I submitted. When he said you're going to be feeding 20 college students every Sunday, it was a lot of work, but I submitted. But when he says I don't want to fix fix that hole in the wall, then it's really hard. (laughs) Or when when he doesn't want to pick up his dirty socks from the floor then that is difficult. And I found you can choose in those situations, those, it's little things. And, you know, you can't even remember what they are eventually. But I, when if my children left their socks and clothes on the floor, then they picked them up or they didn't eat. But with your husband, he is not your... <laughs> But your husband is not your child. So after a few little skirmishes of this, you know, I just decided, okay, I'm his wife, and I'll do it for him. And, you know, when you decide to do those things for him, all of a sudden, he does it. I pick my socks up. He does. (laughs) And I praise the Lord for that. (laughs) If I didn't, they'd crawl off. But anyhow... (laughs) Okay, number one, fill in the blank. Submission, that's what the blank is. Giving the husband the right to make all the decisions. It goes against the human nature and is only possible with the help of God. It's only, only means only possible with the help of God in our walking with God daily. Number two, submission is a command of God, not a suggestion. And it's not an option or choice. We have to decide we want to submit. Number three, hey, did you know I submit to gravity a real good? You know, I, I go out here and I'm standing, there's a canyon maybe a thousand feet down, there's a guardrail. I don't even lean on the guardrail. I submit to gravity. You know, I back way off. Why don't we put, did you know God's more sure than gravity? Maybe we ought to get excited about that. But anyhow, okay. Number three, children learn to obey in the home by watching the mother obey and submit to the father. Uh, she, she sets the pattern, by the way. Number four, children learn to rebel against the father and all authority by watching the mother rebel against the father. And number five, following God's pattern is the key to a successful marriage and family. It's all God's plan in the first place. Maybe we ought to read the instructions. Are you one of those people when you get something for Christmas to put together for the toys, for the ch- toy for the children, that you only read the instructions as a last resort? Yeah. It's amazing. She just took a breath. Uh, but in um, children, when I, I'm all for telling. We can tell it. We should tell our children what the Bible says because that is the foundation of everything we believe. But if we tell them what is right to do and we don't do it, we teach. I always, I believe we teach in two ways. We teach with our mouth and with our life. And if our life disagrees with our mouth, 
then children are going to do what we do instead of what we say. If you study the story of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, that's what happened to him. Did he tell his son Rehoboam how to live? He had lots of sons, but Rehoboam succeeded him in the throne. Rehoboam was a failure as a king. Do you know why? Because even though Solomon told him the right thing, Solomon's life didn't back it up. And the Bible says Solomon's wives turned his heart from God. So we can say, I'm for going to church, I'm for saying the right thing and studying the Bible and all those things. But if we don't give a living example, they're going to do what we do instead of what we say. Galatians chapter 6 says, Be ye not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I don't serve, I serve God because I love him. But I also serve God because I believe that I'm going to reap what I sow. And if I'm not going to do what God says, I might as well look at my children and tell them I don't care about you. I mean, it's that simple. Next, husband's love. I put excruciating down there. Did you know the word excruciating comes from the root, root, root word that means crucify? The most painful thing, form of death, was crucifixion. And from that we get excruciating. Christ's love as he died on the cross was excruciating. And that's our pattern. Okay? Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 28. I don't know if I can read this many verses without getting my tongue tied. My front tooth is, it got knocked out, and that's a, a flipper. It's in there, and sometimes it gets, but anyhow, let's try reading, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> Husbands. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, we just read a statement. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Did you, do you believe that? The two become one flesh. I'm real careful about how I treat me because I like me a lot. But that's me. Okay? So... Love is, it's under there, it says, love is a command, not a choice. Love is a command regardless of the response of the object of the one loved. I remember my wife and I were having a disagreement one day. And uh, I was in my office at the University of Tennessee thinking I'm about to go home to the one I begged God to let me marry. We had two or three children at home. I think it was three at the time. And the children that I begged God for. To the house that God let me build exactly where I wanted it to be. I'm about to go home to all that and I'm not excited about it. I said, Pete, this is stupid. And I got on my knees beside my desk and I prayed. This is the world's scariest prayer because it always works. I said, God, if you show me what to do, I promise you I'll do it. And I decided to go home and to love my wife. You go in and, and, and uh, one kid's crying, another one needs a diaper change and stuff like that. And she was not in the best of spirits. 
And I went up and I said, put my arm, I gave her an unsolicited kiss. And I said, Frida, by the grace of God, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. And she said, hmm. <laughs> that was excruciating. <laughs> so I'm supposed to do it regardless of the response of the object. By the way, God gave me the grace. And she picked on me for a while to see if I meant it. And, and, and it, but that, and that, that was okay too. Cause, uh, but here's what the end result was. We were frustrated in our marriage because it wasn't fulfilled. And I remember on our knees praying for God to show us what to do. And he said something like this. He said, Pete, you could love me better in heaven. Yeah. You could serve me better in heaven. Yeah. You could live sin free in heaven. Yes. But he said, Pete, I left you on earth because there's one thing you can't do in heaven that you can do here. The last thing Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses. We were real good church members, but we didn't know anything about leading anybody to Christ. And we decided then we were going to be soul winners. And I think maybe the most singular important decision we made to love in each other happened when we decided to be soul winners. And I remember thinking, oh, no, God, I'm going to have to sell my house, get a spear and a loincloth, go to Africa or something bad like that. But I was ready. I said, God, where's the mission field? It's 1970, the State University campus. Would you like to guess where the mission field is? And things, our whole life pivoted at that point right there. Okay, so anyhow, love is a command. That's two Regardless of the response to the object of one loved, we love a wife not because we feel like loving or the wife is lovable. It's the way Christ loves us is the pattern for our example. Okay? Number three, love for a wife is what? A picture of the relationship between the believer and Christ. What kind of picture are you giving to the world? We were running two buses at the time. My bus got to church a little ahead of Frida's. And uh, her bus pulled in, and she's unloading her bus, and I'm standing about the foot of the stairs with her and have my arm around her, and a new bus kid hops off the bus. He looks at her, he looks at me, and he says to me, says, Frida, is that your boyfriend? Now, wait a minute. Why did he say that? What do you think the picture is he's getting at home? Yeah. Yeah. So your marriage is a picture, and the world notices it. I said this this afternoon, I won't say, but... When I was in older grade school and junior high, I decided that I wanted a home like my parents. And, you know, you think, well, children that young don't really think a lot about marriage, but I did. And I, didn't, I don't know if I even told my parents that, but I wanted a home because they loved each other, they loved us, they loved God, and the main focus of our home was serving God. And I never forgot that. You know, I would not have married a person my dad disapproved. You know, you think, and I was, you know, I was 22 when I got married, but I valued my dad's opinion that much. And I think right now, your children in your home are deciding what kind of homes they want. Number four, love is a verb, not a noun. That means we're supposed to be doing something. It requires action to reinforce the word. On the other hand, for a lost person, hope is a verb 
For a saved person, it's a noun, is it not? Most people hope we have it. Yeah. I can get... God's got lessons even in parts of speech, so I hate to admit it. All right, now... All right, number five. And, you Uh-oh. know, that means, I don't know, I think that, you know, with women, if you want the right kind of marriage, you're supposed to meet all the needs of your husband, whether you feel like it or not. Because usually we don't feel like it because we're selfish. That's the whole thing. But again, on the the other, you know, men and women are not alike. So we need conversation. We need a date once a week. We need to know for sure that you care for us. And, you know, and that's just, you know, men and women don't think alike. But if you have the right relationship, that is action that comes along with love. Okay. And number five, love is understood best when it's given away unselfishly. All right, anybody mad yet? Okay. Wives submit, husbands love, children obey. Oh, here's another long Bible passage. Everybody take a deep breath. (gasps) Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you've heard my wife say, one of, she, if she had trouble with one of the kids, she said, you want to shorten your life? And uh, it says that's a promise, right? And, and so it, if you're not raising your kids right and they rebel against you, you're, you're shortening their lives or causing it to happen. So anyhow... Number one, God demands obedience to authority if we want his blessings on our lives. Okay. Lack of correction of children, your own children. We're not talking about correcting the child at the grocery store who's being a brat. We're talking about the children that God has given you. If you do not correct your children, it is as though you're saying, I don't love you. Because God loves us enough to correct us if we're his children. And if... In your home, and I don't, we won't raise our hands, but in your home, either the parents are in charge or the children are in charge. Which is it? And it's not easy. It's not easy to be in charge, but God is very clear that parents are in charge of the home. I'll just give you one story about, this is about Keith. And you know, it's, it's never, If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. If it were easy to serve God, everybody would do it. But yet, you've chosen to serve God, and so have we. But when Keith was in seventh grade, again, Kevin said, they went to all the activities. If there was choir practice, then they went. And in seventh grade, that's kind of when children start wanting to do their own thing. But So one night, as I was going to church, Keith... uh, choir teachers said that he got there 15 or 20 minutes late and the problem with getting there late because we are always early you know the problem with getting there late is because you're with wrong place with the wrong people when you're not where you're supposed to be you're always going to get in trouble so I didn't say anything then but when we got home my husband talked to him and he 
course, they always make, he said, well, he had something real important, helping his friend find the friend's mother, or I don't know what he said. But my husband told him wisely, Keith, you now have two choices because you are going to be in choir on time. Choice number one, you're going to always be there on time, and we will be checking with your teacher to make sure you are. Choice two, you're not able to get to choir on time, so either your mother or I will go to choir with you to make sure that there is no difficulty there. Now, no junior high boy wants his mother or father sitting in choir (laughs) with them. So I'd just like to report that that was the end. We never had a call from his teacher. We never had another problem with his being at the right place at the right time. But it's a mistake if you just assume your children are going to be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Okay. Okay. Number two, children who won't obey you won't obey God. To me, that speaks volumes. Number three, we teach by example what we say and do. If what we say disagrees with what we do, children will do what we do. And you say, boy, I, I really, you tell your kids, boy, God is really important. I really love him. But it's Super Bowl Sunday. I remember when Brother Howell said one time, he said, so, he was mad because people were sleeping in church. He said, some of you, he said, no, he said, you would never sleep during the Super Bowl. And I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if I would. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but if, if you make excuses in your Christian service, what do you think your kids are going to do? Uh, why do you think, I have, I have never missed a Sunday on the bus route, I think in 42 years, for being sick. Now, there have been times we stopped the bus and I got off and vomited or something like that. But I was there. Now, I didn't want my children to think they had any excuse either. You you know, you just, oh, mommy's got a headache today. So what? You're going to have a headache at church too. You might as well go to church with it. You know, we're, we're, we're anyhow, so... There are some reasons why people can't come. God has just been good to us. So, so far, we haven't had a reason. <laughs> well, that was a reason. <laughs> okay. Continue on. All right. All right. So, uh, one time... In a fit of, I don't know what it was, sin, <laughs> I figured out how much salary I had forfeited by being at Howes Anderson College for 30 some years over what I'd had at Tennessee. And it's more than a million dollars. Now, now, but I could not let money be important, more important to me than my children serving God. And God said, What would you have done if you had that million dollars? I said, I'd have spent it. He said, on what? I said, I'm being happy. God said, how are you? I said, happy. Yeah, you know, without money. But anyhow, all right. Children obey, let's see. Is that number four? Our responsibility is to love, discipline, and teach our children. And by the way, love and discipline are part of the teaching process. How are we doing so far? Good. Let's see. Wives submit, husbands love, 
children, obey. You got that so far? That's six words. Next two. Fathers, rear. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be a long time to read this, but let's do it anyhow. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign on your refrigerator. No. But if they'd had refrigerators then, I think God would have put that in. Did you use your refrigerator a message board? Now everybody go, hmm. When are you not supposed to do it? Well, any time you're not in your house or outside your house or walking around. Or laying down. Or laying down. That, that means you're supposed to be teaching them all the time. And by the way, you are teaching them all the time. One thing or another, right? Yep. Yeah. So, then Ephesians 6, 4. Let's read it. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How do you provoke your children to wrath? Well, one thing I do to provoke them to wrath is I yell at them. Especially in public. Kevin, that was stupid. That, that would provoke him to wrath. We were at a basketball game one time, and, and, and I, my cheering was always positive. You know, get them, go after them, get the ball, and so forth. But Keith was playing basketball. The gymnasium was packed. It's a tight game. And there was a referee named Wally that was refereeing the game. He, he was one of the top referees in the state, but he was retired, but he loved to referee our games. And I knew Wally pretty well, and I'm up there yelling, and all of a sudden he blows his whistle and says, time out on me. In front of God and everybody, he walked over and handed me the whistle. He said, you do this for a while, I'm going to yell. <laughs> so, but, so I provoked Wally to wrath, maybe. But anyhow, no. <clears throat> no, he, I, I never yelled at the referee's calls or anything else. But, but I, I was loud and encouraging. Okay. So you don't yell at them, belittle them, or lose your temper when correcting them. Don't. That's a command to me. For fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Now, there have been some times I've done stuff like that. And I've gone to my children and asked them to forgive me. You know, you can't shirtcoat it. It's there for everybody to look at. Okay? Favoritism. And, oh, my wife says favoritism. Kevin, why can't you be like your brother Keith? That would provoke him to wrath in one statement. But anyhow, no. <laughs> Okay. Failing to correct them when they're wrong. Okay, and, and you got to correct them when they're wrong. Okay, number two. <laughs> hey, you know this. He and Keith grew up very, very competitive. But to my knowledge, they never got in a fight. And if you did, don't tell me. <laughs> but but that, that's amazing. You know, and uh, it, I better check later on that. But anyhow. <laughs> So, all right. 
Number two, establish rules for your children and enforce them fair and enforce them fairly and consistently. It needs to cost your child more to rebel than to obey. So you just make the price where you know I'm going to pay it. Okay. Number three, don't compare your children unfavorably to others. Number four, don't expect your children to do what you are unwilling to do. Or that, you know, if, if it's a dirty job and you don't want to do it, if you're not willing to do it, don't expect them to. And, and so, it, that's a, anyhow, number five, show your children by your life that a life lived for God is the very best life. Well, you know, Kevin used this last night because he learned it from me. You walk up to somebody and say, what's wrong? Are you sick? No, I'm just saved. I could have so much more fun. You don't know how much it cost me to be a Christian. That's dumb, isn't it? Get excited. You don't know how much it cost me to be a Tennessee football fan. <laughs> Lost all sorts of games. But I'm hopeful. But, but, but seriously, get excited. Did you just take a breath? I don't know. I I think that the main thing we need with with women being so strong today and men being beaten down, I think we need to do everything in our power to build up the men, to submit to men. I mean, I'm not talking about doing wrong, but if you your husband, we need to build him up, build him up in the eyes of your children because today we have some really strong women and some very wimpish men. And I just, that, that is not what God had in mind at all. And if you have older children, I always, I always thought our older children should be examples for the younger ones. And I would remind them of this. I, I remember one time when Keith was old enough, he always thought he could do everything Kevin did. <laughs> and he couldn't, but he thought he could, you know. But I remember he he wanted to hang drywall with Kevin. Well, he wasn't really very good, at, but he did closets or carried the drywall. I mean, but but because Kevin was already good at it. I mean, Kevin's older than he is and been doing this. He already knew how to do it. But I remember sending him off to work. I, I, I think I told Kevin, you better take care of him and see that he doesn't kill himself because that's, Keith is so, you know, he's going to do it or die. And I was afraid he might die trying so hard. But I remember I was home working and they were, had gone to work and I heard the front door open. You remember this? heard the fr- Okay, right. I heard the door open. Now, here comes Keith. He's walking in with this. The first was his head. Okay, he's walking in. He has this big bandage on his head where um, Kevin had had to take him. He was using a drywall hammer. You know, they have a hatchet. And so I don't know how he did this, but somehow as he was doing something with the drywall hammer, he hatcheted himself in the head. And had to have Kevin take him to the emergency room. So Kevin's not real happy because he's missing work. And Keith is going home with his head all bandied with stitches in his head. Okay, but Keith felt so bad. But anyway, I think he had to stay home that day. But the next day he went with his bandage on. Well, okay, it wasn't a day or two later. I hear the door open again. And now I look in and here is Keith. He's got his entire hand bandaged up. I guess he is 
remodeling and now he falls off the ladder, he does something. And with that drywall wire, he had 200 stitches taken in his hand, you know, going all the way, all the way down his arm. Here's Kevin. He's losing time at work again. And I know that Keith, Keith was really sad. Now he's got a bandage on his head and a big, (laughs) because he he can't work with this big, you know, his hand, he can't use his hand. And so, I don't know, he came in and he sat down on the kitchen table. Just, he was really discouraged. And I didn't know what to say to him. You know, I, sometimes it's better you just don't speak. So I didn't say anything. And then he said, um, are you going to make me quit? And um, I said, why would you think that? Because, you know, we didn't quit things. And he said, well, Doug says you're going to make me quit because I've gotten hurt twice in a week. I said, you want to quit? He said, no, ma'am. I said, okay, well, I've never made you quit anything, so I'm not starting now. But I said, I do think it'd be wise if you let Kevin teach you a few things so you don't kill yourself. (laughs) the end of the first week at work <laughs> but but anyway it's I would rather him be hurt than and be a man and I told him then I said Keith I don't I'm not raising a wimp I want to raise a man who can endure hard things and who won't ever quit okay all right well I think I got a few more things but I think we'll quit there those are eight words you can remember them or can you? Let's try it. Wives submit, husbands love, children obey, fathers rear. Now, if you keep those in mind, now we have kept them in mind. We have failed a lot in those, but it's a good pattern to use to raise your family. And and I I'd like to say this: you have a really good living pattern who stands behind this pulpit every Sunday. Glory to God. Don't you remember, don't human sensory perception cannot maintain a conscious awareness to a constant input signal. Don't let the input signal him being up here ever get to where you're not conscious of it and you're not grateful for it. Thank you.